Father, we thank you that uh, your word does give us clarity, um, that it is authoritative truth for our lives. And though it doesn't give us the every single exact answer to every single scenario or situation that we might run into, um, you tell us what we need to know. And uh, you, yeah, you challenge us to uh, become more like your son. Um, and that is most important, uh, just whether or not we are uh, living a life that, uh, that of worship, um, of Christ-likeness. And so, Father, as we dive into this topic of uh, just how do we love people that we disagree with, um, give us humility, Lord. Help us to, to really value and appreciate and to learn from the example of your son um, and uh, just his humility and, uh, yeah, his, his desire to serve and to love, um, even to give up his own rights um, in order to love well. And so teach us that, uh, Lord, by your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> the question that we are going to address tonight is how do I love those with different views um, or opinions than me? And I don't think I really need to show you guys why this is such an important and relevant question for us. Um, interacting with someone who has different opinions or views than you on something, maybe even someone very close to you, like a friend or a family member, or maybe even a fellow church member. Uh, that is not just hypothetical nowadays, right? That is like something that you probably experience firsthand, and maybe some of you on a regular basis. For example, one of the questions that came up in the Q&A that we just talked about uh, was, how do I love those who think differently about COVID than I do, right? Like, what if my roommate is okay with inviting people over and I'm not? Like, how do I love my roommate well? Um, loving those with different opinions has been something that our church, Lighthouse, has had to work through over the past year. And if you've been following along with the Sunday messages and just kind of listening to like a different applications that Pastor Kim and the other pastors uh, have been including in their messages, you can kind of tell, right? Like this is something our church is walking through right now. Um, whether it has to do with Lighthouse's reopening or just uh, politics or current race issues or whatever else, whatever issues it might be, um, as much as the church is generally supportive of the elders and their decision-making, you can kind of tell, right? Like just based on some of the things that they talk about, that this is something that they've had to deal with during this past season. And I know that it's been a burden on their hearts to shepherd us through these things. And uh, just it's their desire to really exhort our church towards humility and unity. But what about you guys as, as college students specifically? I think relatively speaking, I feel like you guys are probably more on the side of less opinionated. Um, like based on just everything that's happened this past year. From what I've seen from you guys, at least, like you're fine with just kind of going with the flow. Maybe, maybe that's just because you're not informed. <laughs> but for the most part, you guys are just cool with whatever, right? Like you're you're supportive of when Lighthouse is going to reopen. Um, you're not like clamoring for like this decision to be made. Um, and I do think among you guys, there is a genuine desire to learn. And I, I do I see this genuine desire to consider the other sides of the issues. And so I'm encouraged by you guys in that way. Uh, but I know that even though that is true for all of us, we can be tempted to think that those people who are the most outspoken or, or those people who have the loudest voices, that they are the ones who are most guilty, right? They are the ones who need to hear a message like this. 
not me, right? Not not Beacon. We don't need to uh, listen to something like this. Well, I think this is important for us uh, for a couple of reasons. First, whether or not you currently have someone in your life that you disagree with on certain things, uh, which I would say is improbable, but at some point you will, right? You will disagree with someone, maybe even someone very close to you. And scripture actually teaches us that our differences are necessary. They are a healthy part of uh, the life of the church because there are opportunities to learn from one another. There are opportunities to live out the gospel. And so for us, we need to know how to properly relate to one another and to love one another when these kinds of things come up. And then second, um, I think this is important for us because something that we're going to see in our passage is that we all have blind spots. Um, For example, something that I've become more aware of uh, for myself is that like, it's really easy for me to be uh, a Pharisee towards the Pharisees. Uh, In other words, it's like, it's easy for me to really look down on those who look down on other people. Like the people who are like haters who like to criticize a lot. I like to hate on them and I like to criticize them. And maybe you like can relate to that, you know, and I think about that and I realize, you know, I'm doing the same thing that like that I dislike that these other people are doing to others. That, that's one of my blind spots. And so no matter whatever side of the issue you're on, realize that scripture calls us um, to move towards one another, right? That's what we see in this passage. This is why this passage is here. Um, not to just stick with those who agree with us. <clears throat> All of us have the responsibility to preserve unity. And that means that we play an active part for the sake of the gospel. We don't just kind of spectate from the sidelines. And so if you have your Bibles, the passage that I chose for tonight is Romans 14. You guys can go ahead and turn there, Romans 14. And as you're turning there, let me just set the context for you a little bit. Uh, I know the book of Romans is often known as one of the most theologically rich and and, uh, kind of dense parts of scripture. But something that we don't realize as much is that there was a very specific and real life occasion or context for Paul writing this letter. And I think realizing that helps us to see that what Paul has to say is not only theological, but it is very practical. Um, in AD 49, this is kind of what was going on in AD 49, the Roman emperor Claudius, he had expelled the Jews from Rome. You can actually read about these events in Acts 18. Um, and, and Jews were kicked out of Rome. They were expelled for about five years until Claudius died in AD 54. And during that time, the makeup of the church changed. I mean, think about it. That's a pretty significant amount of time to be gone. Right? Imagine if that happened in Beacon. What if like, one of the campuses, for whatever reason, decided to stay with online learning, uh, even for just like, let's say, the next school year? And the, but everyone else, they decided, or everyone else returned to in-person. Well, whenever those people who were doing online learning came back, come back, well, Beacon would have inevitably changed, right, during the time that they were gone. And that's kind of what happened with the church in Rome, which started as probably this primarily Jewish house church in Rome, house churches in Rome. They shifted or they changed during that time to, during those five years, to a majority Gentile composed church. And so... When this edict is over and the Jews are allowed to return, all of a sudden they come back and they're the new minority, right? And as you can imagine, there's a learning curve. 
um, to what it looks like to be the church again, as all of a sudden there's these cultural issues that they have to deal with that they hadn't had to deal with the past five years. Well, in chapter 14, Paul speaks directly to a situation in the church where people had different views or different opinions. Um, Look at verse two. He says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. And then verse five, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Now, to be clear, the differences that Paul is talking about here in our passage, they have to do with matters of conscience, okay, matters of conscience. And I think most of you kind of already know what your conscience is, right? And um, I think learning what the Bible has to say about it is probably worth its own sermon. Um, but I like this one definition from uh, Andrew Nacelli. He says, your conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right or wrong. Your consciousness of what you believe is right or wrong. The Bible teaches us in passages like Romans 2 that everyone has a conscience. And to go against your conscience, the Bible says, is sin. We see that later in our passage. Um, also James 4, 17, 1 Corinthians 8, 12. To go against your conscience is to sin. And that idea or that truth is going to be really important in our passage later on. So remember that. But even though everyone possesses a God-given conscience, not everyone's conscience is the same. And that's exactly why we have passages like this one, Romans 14. Um, kind of a similar passage is 1 Corinthians chapters 8 to 10. But I bring this up, this idea of conscience, because um, I think that helps us at least set the parameters of the differences that we're talking about tonight. When we talk about different views or different opinions, that can encompass a very wide range of things, right? But for tonight, we're going to focus specifically on matters of conscience um, between fellow believers. Sometimes people call it gray areas. um, And and kind of like even knowing where to draw these lines is a bit challenging. Um, But we're focusing on issues where scripture does not speak explicitly about, okay? At least not in terms of like commanding specific steps to take. These are areas where God's word allows us some area of freedom. And we know this is what Paul is talking about based on some of the things that he says in our passage. Uh, Look at verse three. So in verse three, he's speaking of the weaker brother here. And he says that God has welcomed him. Um, And throughout our passage, Paul commands tolerance and, and not correction. And we know elsewhere that Paul is not afraid of offering correction, right? But here he doesn't call them to correction. He actually commands tolerance, right? Acceptance of one another. And then in verse five, he says that each should be fully convinced in his own mind, right? Whatever side of the issue you're on, you should be convinced. That's his command. Now, I I think this is important to uh, to distinguish because there may be times when you have different views or opinions in regards to something that scripture has spoken clearly about. I mean, say she just brought something up, right? LGBTQ issues. Um, God has spoken clearly um, about sexuality. Uh, And in these cases, in areas of sin or going against what God has clearly said, God's word teaches us to pursue, to speak the truth in love, not to compromise. But when it comes to matters like this one here in Romans 14, um, Paul says we approach it kind of differently. And so I think that distinction is important. Um, But also this aspect of conscience helps us to understand 
why these differences in views or these differences in opinions can sometimes get so heated, right? Why do these arguments, these disagreements feel so significant? And that's because if these are matters of conscience, then that means that these things can feel like moral decisions. And that, that, that feel like is a key word, right? These things feel like they are moral decisions. Uh, for example, it's not just like, okay, I think the church should regather when it comes to COVID. Often it turns into like, don't you care about fellowshipping with other believers? Are you letting the government take Jesus's place if you don't want to regather? Um, or oftentimes it's not just, oh, I voted Republican. How could you vote Democrat? Right? All of a sudden it evolves into like, this is the kind of person that you are. This is what you care about. Um, and even like, it even goes as far as like, this is a reason to doubt someone else's salvation. They feel like moral decisions. You know, what's interesting here is that Paul does have an opinion. And actually there is a better or there is a right answer when it comes to this particular issue. He tells us that straight up in verse 14. Uh, we also see that with these categories of stronger and weaker brother. Um, and when he says weak here, he's not saying that this person is like a weak Christian, um, but he's saying that they haven't totally grasped their freedom in Christ. Okay, they, don't, they haven't totally uh, understood the implications of the gospel when it comes to this particular area of their life, whereas the stronger brother has. Um, and in this particular passage, it seems that the Jewish Christians, they hadn't fully grasped that the gospel had given them this new freedom from these kind of for, uh, former Jewish practices or cultural practices. But what's important here is I want you to notice how Paul chooses to instruct these believers. Right? What does he care about uh, in this debate, in this disagreement? And if you, if you look through it, the first thing that he does, it isn't to correct the theology of the weak brother, nor does he just side with the weak brother. And, and he just says, like, refrain from everything. No, Paul's priority here, the thing that's most important to him is love and unity between one another. Love and unity between one another. And so from this passage, I want to just extract uh, just a few helpful principles. And obviously, it'd be great if there was a passage that told us exactly what to think, say, and do in every area of disagreement. But unfortunately, we don't have that. But uh, this passage does equip us, right, at least with some really important truths that God wants us to consider in our relationships with those that we disagree with, in our relationships with those we have different views or opinions um, from. And so the first one, uh, first point is this, in your relating, come alongside rather than looking down on. In your relating, come alongside rather than looking down on. And so this first point has to do with how we relate to one another. How do you see your identity? How do you see your role in this? How do you think about the relationship that you have with this other person? And then based on that, do you look down on them or do you come alongside them? Uh, verse one says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. You can stop there. So the situation is that there's, there's one person who believes 
that he's permitted to eat anything, right? And then there's the other person who thinks it was only okay to eat vegetables. You see that in verse two. And then in these verses, we see that there are two general ways that you can respond to those who have different opinions than you. Now, the, the way that is most natural to us, the way that we often tend to respond in our sinful hearts is to despise, right? It is to pass judgment in verse three. And like I said earlier, I want you to notice in verse three um, that this is a danger for all of us. Because if you look at it, he addresses both the weak brother as well as the strong brother. Uh, both sides are susceptible to despising the other side. Um, and both sides have the responsibility to preserve unity. Something that we have to realize is that when we despise, when we pass judgment on those who we disagree with, that we're not just putting ourselves over these other people, but really we're putting ourselves even over God, right? You are putting yourself in the place of master. You're making everyone else your servant. Um, that's, what verse four, that's what verse four is saying. Paul says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So um, that's, that's our, our natural tendency, right? To despise, to pass judgment, to put ourselves over uh, other people who disagree with us. Well, what is the right way to respond? Verse one, Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. They welcome him. And um, that command in verse one to welcome him is grounded in the reason that Paul gives at the end of verse three. And so what is the reason we're called to welcome this weaker brother? Well, verse three, for God has welcomed him. That God has already accepted and approved of this other brother or sister. And just like, think about what that means. Think about how it is possible that God would welcome this other person, this other believer. The only way that's possible was Jesus had to die on the cross in order that sinners could be welcomed before a holy God, right? That's what we just um, celebrated and remembered this past holy week. (laughs) And so if that is what God has done, then Paul is challenging us. Okay, how can you despise your brother? If those were the lengths that God went to to welcome this other person, how can you despise them? God has welcomed them just as he's welcomed you. And that means that both of you are standing on level ground, right? That means that this other person is a brother or sister in Christ. In fact, don't miss that last sentence in verse four. So Paul talks about God's judgment, and he's actually going to return to the same idea later in verses 10 to 12. And I think it's kind of easy to assume that when he brings up judgment, that his point is uh, like, don't judge others because God is going to judge them. Right. And I mean, that's that's a true statement. That is something that we see in scripture. But I think Paul says a little bit more than that here. Look at what he says in verse four. Um, It's actually a statement of assurance. Right. Paul says, and he who is the weaker brother, he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So in other words, on that last day, the judgment that Paul is talking about, the judgment coming for that weaker brother or sister that you disagree with will be positive that brother or sister will be upheld, right? The judgment that, we, that will be pronounced over them will be saved by the blood of Christ. And so uh, just follow the reasoning here already. God has already welcomed this person. And then on that last day, he will uphold them. And so the question for us is, okay, if this is the, the question for us is, is that the judgment that comes to mind, right? 
the judgment of salvation, the fact that God will uphold this other brother or sister, is that what comes to mind when you judge those who disagree with you? And so what that means is that your relationship with one another in Christ is more important than any issue that might come up between you. And I think this is a helpful principle in any relationship and with anything, um, even outside of matters of conscience. Um, This is counsel that that we often give in marriage counseling. Um, But to be relational or relationship focused rather than issue focused. It'd be a relationship focused rather than issue focused. Because if you're just focused on issues, then someone always wins and someone always loses. But if you're focused on the relationship that you have with this brother or sister in Christ, then that means that you are free to lose because you're playing the long game, right? You're about this relationship. You can think in terms of love and humility and patience. Uh, You can listen and you can learn. And your heart is softened for when other disagreements come up in the future. Don't be issue focused. Be focused on the relationship that you guys share in Christ. So here are a couple quotes I think that are helpful that speak to this. Um, Jonathan Lehman, he says, one way or another, you must communicate with your words, your tone, even your body language, that you can disagree with me and our fellowship and friendship will in no way be jeopardized because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, by acknowledging that an issue is a Christian freedom issue, you should be able to say to yourself, I don't need to discuss this. And my Christian fellowship with this person who disagrees with me will remain as strong as ever. You should be able, as it were, to change the subject. And then John Newton says this, if you account him a believer, he's talking about someone you disagree with, um, though greatly mistaken in the subject of debate between you. Remember this, the Lord loves him and bears with him. Therefore, you must not despise him or treat him harshly. The Lord bears with you likewise and expects that you should show tenderness to others from a sense of the much forgiveness you need yourself. In a little while, you will meet in heaven and he will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have upon earth is to you now. Anticipate that period in your thoughts. And though you may find it necessary to oppose his errors, view him personally as a kindred soul with whom you are to be happy in Christ forever. And so do you remember that that is the relationship you share with one another? And if so, then that that challenges us, that compels us to come alongside, right? Rather than to look down on. Um, Second point is this, in your thinking, be generous um, with others and watchful of yourself. Be generous or gracious with others and watchful of yourself. Uh, I've I've mentioned Twitter before. I don't know how, how many of you guys actually use Twitter, but... I do. And one of the terrible things about Twitter, um, especially amongst Christian Twitter, which is, which is a thing for some reason, uh, is that people are, are super uncharitable and even mean-spirited in like analyzing and overanalyzing the things that other people post. Uh, I mean, and on Twitter, you're limited to 280 characters per tweet. They actually like doubled that recently. I used to be 140, now it's 280, but that's still not a lot of characters, right? You're limited to 280 characters per tweet. And so like, yes, that does mean that you should probably be extra thoughtful about what you say. uh, So that's not confusing. But what happens is people often hold one another to these really unfair expectations and standards. And they are so quick to read between the lines, right? You call, or we we call that the subtext. 
as if they know the other person's thoughts and motives. Uh, like for some reason, people love to like dunk on Tim Keller on Twitter. And it's just like, dude, this guy's written so many books. He's brilliant. How could you, you know, just criticize this guy based on a tweet? Well, that's the tendency that Paul is speaking to in these next verses. And his command, his instruction is to focus on your own heart, your own motives, and where you stand, rather than thinking you know the hearts and motives of others. In fact, he says, be generous, be gracious, charitable in your evaluation of others, and strict and watchful in your evaluation of yourself. Uh, Verse 6, he says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. And so what Paul is doing here is he assumes that both sides are exercising their freedoms or their restrictions for the glory of God, right? You see that phrase, in honor of the Lord. And can Paul be totally sure that that is their motivation? No, probably not, right? But scripture calls us to believe the best about our brothers and sisters. Uh, It is one of the characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When you became a Christian, the honor of the Lord became our common goal and our driving motive. That's what uh, verses 7 to 9 is talking about. He says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. And so if we've all been welcomed by God, if we are all on the same team, then can we trust? Can we give others the benefit of the doubt that this is what we're all after, right? We're living and dying unto the Lord. And yet how often do we accuse and we question that rather than give others the benefit of the doubt? I mean, when you read that verse, think of someone that you might disagree with. Would you be able to put that person's name there? Right? Would you be able to say, I disagree with this brother or sister. Maybe I disagree strongly with them, but I trust that this person's name, right, fill in the blank, lives and dies not to himself or herself, but to the Lord. And Paul says here, if you're going to scrutinize anybody, then make it yourself. Uh, look at verse five. He says, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. And again, it seems that Paul's priority here, it isn't, to convince one side to join the other, right? In in matters of conscience. Um, Even though, like we said, there is a better side to be on. Paul gives his own position in verse 14. But rather he is more concerned that you know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, That you know what you're talking about. And this makes sense, you know, especially if we're talking about the conscience Later in our passage, Paul is going to talk about the danger of causing another brother to stumble and to sin against his own conscience. And so what he's saying here, to be fully convinced in your own mind, he's saying, make sure that you've done your own homework, right? Make sure you know where you stand because you don't want to sin against your own conscience if you're not fully convinced. You know, I think there's a lot of value, especially in our day and age, in really taking this to heart. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you have to be an expert on every single thing. Um, I I think it takes humility humility to sometimes just not say anything or to be able to admit, like, I don't know what to think about this issue. But in many of these areas of disagreement today, there is a lot of misrepresentation, right? There's a lot of tribalism and just like 
uh, straw man fallacies and probably not enough serious and thoughtful consideration for ourselves. And this takes time. This takes discernment, right? To know where we stand, to be fully convinced for ourselves. It takes time because it involves reading and listening and learning from the perspective of others, not just those in your tribe, right? Not just those on your side. It takes testing those opinions and those thoughts by scripture. And it takes discernment because there's so much information. There's so many voices and not all of uh, that information and those voices are reliable and fair. But if we give time to this, right, this process is helpful. And it's not just, it's not just because like you now better understand the nuances, you have more information, but also because it helps you to better understand other people. Right? It helps you to extend grace and patience because you recognize, oh, there's a lot to this issue. Right? And you understand, oh, maybe this is why this person, I could see this person land on this side of the issue. And so if you're going to scrutinize anybody, make it yourself. Uh, Paul says, by being thoughtful with your own position, by being fully convinced in your own mind. Now, there are probably some of you uh, who don't have a problem with this, right? You are like totally convinced. Um, you've done your research. You're 110% sure uh, where you stand. You like let others know about it. But recognize what Paul is saying here, right? He's saying you can be fully convinced that you are right. And yet you can still accept someone else, even though you think they're wrong. Get that? You can be fully convinced you're right. And yet you can still welcome and accept someone else as a brother or sister in Christ, even though you think, you think they're wrong on this particular issue. And so Paul says, don't only be thoughtful with your own position and, and fully convinced in your own mind, but even more significantly, be thoughtful also of your attitude. Not just where you stand, but also with your attitude, your conduct towards this other person. And we see this in verses 10 to 12. He brings up God's judgment again. And again, this is a little more nuanced than just like, don't judge others because God will judge them. And he does say that in verse 10, he says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Uh, Verse 12, he says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. But what I think Paul specifically wants us to remember is that you, not just this other person, you will have to give an account before God, right? And it won't just be about this particular matter that you disagree about, but you will also have to give an account about your attitude, about your conduct, about your words, um, about whether or not you despised and passed judgment on your brother. Right? You have to give an account, not just about the what, but also about the how. And so as one pastor put it, when you're standing before the throne on judgment days, Uh, On Judgment Day, what battles will we look back on and be proud that we fought? If we recognize this sobering reality of our own accountability before God, then I think we won't be unnecessarily meddling in where others are at, right? We won't overly concern ourselves with others because we will remember that we have to answer to God for ourselves. All right, last point here. Number three, in your doing, resolve to walk in love. In your doing, resolve to walk in love. So in, in verses 13 to 23, um, Paul says that, says that our actions towards those who disagree with us must be marked by love. And another way that he puts it, if you look in verse 19, as well as uh, chapter 15, verse 2, is that you are committed to building up your neighbor. Right? You love them by building up your neighbor. 
And in this section, in these verses, there are a couple of things that we know for sure. Okay, the first one we already mentioned earlier is actually the right answer to this whole debate. Okay, so Paul shows us his cards, so to speak. And in verse 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So he sides with the stronger brother, but he says, you can eat, you can, uh, you don't have to celebrate these days. Like nothing is unclean in itself. That's the first thing we know for sure. Well, that verse doesn't end there, right? Because the second thing that we know for sure is that it's a sin to go against your own conscience. Second half of verse 14, Paul says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And then if you jump down to verses 22 to 23, um, Paul says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith um, or from his conscience for whoever does not, or for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay. So Paul says, okay, the right answer is you can eat whatever you want, but also the right answer is uh, it's a sin to go against your own conscience. And so knowing those things, what does it mean to walk in love? Does it mean that you flaunt the fact that you're right and this other person is wrong? Right? Can you imagine just the stronger brother saying, like, don't you know that the apostle Paul agrees with me? Right? Is, is that what it means to, to walk in love? No, of course not. Right? We just said, like, don't despise one another. Um, in verse 22, Paul says, wherever you decide to land, don't make a big deal about it. Uh, he says, keep it between you and God. Well, to walk in love, is it, is it to correct and to show this other person the truth? Is that what it means to walk in love? Well, maybe sometimes, right? Like we said earlier, on those things that, that scripture has spoken clearly about, then this is appropriate. This is necessary. But at least in this passage, and when it comes to matters of conscience like this one, Paul says that you walk in love by resolving to not cause your brother to stumble. You walk in love by being willing to defer and to give up your rights and your own freedoms. And that's what he says in verse 13, verse 21. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to cause a brother or sister to stumble? I think broadly speaking, you can think of it as when an issue like this, right? Like a, a, a freedom or a, a Christian freedom issue or a matter of conscience, when an issue like this becomes so big and so important to you that you can actually lead your brother to sin. So in this example, to cause your brother to stumble would be for the stronger brother to insist so much on their freedoms that it actually leads the weaker brother to participate, even though they actually think it's wrong, right? And Maybe a, a modern day example would be like with alcohol and drinking, right? Like you, you make this such a big deal that you actually lead this, young, this weaker brother to, to participate, even though it goes against their conscience. Or another example could be that something like politics or uh, like social justice issues has become so big and so important to you that it actually leads those who differ from you to turn away from the faith and just to walk away. Here's the general principle I want you to get. Do you see sin as the greatest danger, both for yourself as well as for your brother or sister? Do you see sin as the greatest danger? Do you see God's standard of love and holiness as most important? In fact, when these other issues become too big and too important, Paul says that you are in danger of destroying the work of God 
You're in danger of destroying the one for whom Christ died. Uh, That's verses 15 and 20. Something I want you to notice also is that Paul specifically places the burden on the stronger brother here. And it's kind of interesting because Paul's instruction here is basically, uh, if you think about it, the argument of the stronger brother. Right? The stronger brother says, okay, God doesn't really care what I eat or drink. And so why are you, weaker brother, making such a big deal about it? Right? Why are you making this fuss about it? It's not that important. And so Paul here, he turns it on them, on the stronger brother, and he, he asks them the same question. He says, okay, if these things aren't that important, if these aren't matters of import or significance, then why don't you just give up your freedom for the sake of your weaker brother? In verse 17, he says, don't you know that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? And don't you know that your brother's faith is more important than whatever it is that you're arguing about. And so for you, Beacon, are you willing to defer? Are you willing to give up your rights, your freedoms, um, whether that's it's the last word or an argument, in an argument or the freedom to engage in a certain activity? Are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to defer for the sake of Christ, right? for the sake of loving this other person? Do you understand that Christian freedom and spiritual maturity and greater theological knowledge it ought to mean that you are, are in a better position to love selflessly by bearing with the weak. I mean, let me ask you, what are you known for? Like, what would others say that you really care about, that you talk about most or you're most passionate about? Remember what Jesus says in John 13, 35? He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that is what we should be known for. Ultimately, to be willing to show deferential love and to be willing to give up our own rights and freedoms is to follow in the example of Jesus. Um, In chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For Christ did not please himself, but as as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You know that Christ did not use his own strength or his own advantages or the fact that he was always 100% correct as a weapon but rather we know that he came to serve and not to be served. And if he's in our example, then we know that at the end of the day, it's not a matter of you agree with me or, okay, fine, I'll agree with you. But at the end of the day, it's each of us becoming more like Jesus, right? Each of us following his example. And what happens as a result? Well, I really love the picture um, in chapter 15, verses five and six. Paul says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that you guys have all listened to um, a choir before, or maybe even like an acapella group. And everyone in that group, they are singing together as one voice. And yet you know that there are the sopranos and altos and tenors and bass and whatever other musical terms and categories there are. There's melody and harmony and all of that together. It sounds incredible, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. And that is the picture here. The people of God singing as one voice, following Jesus. And yet that song that they sing, it is enriched. And it's even more beautiful by the fact that we're not all singing the same notes. 
right? We're singing together in one voice, but we have our differences. We have our disagreements. But when we all resolve to walking in love with one another and to pursuing living in harmony with one another, despite those differences, and Paul says the greatness of God and the gospel is put on display, right? It's, it's put on display even more because those are there than if they were not. Now going back to what I mentioned about Lighthouse at the beginning, I am very grateful um, to our elders and our pastors who have shepherded us so well during the season where it's been just extra tempting to, to be divided over opinions. From the Sunday sermons to our, uh, our pastoral staff meetings on Mondays, like I can really see how just the unity and the fellowship of the church family here at Lighthouse is such a burden on their hearts. They, they really, really care about it. And uh, like, I feel like I only know a fraction of what's going on. Like, I don't know who the people are that are, you know, raising objections and, and letting, making their opinions known. I don't know who's saying these things, but I, I feel that burden because I, I see them carrying that burden, right? I know this is something that they really care about. But one of the really cherished reminders that Pastor Kim has mentioned often is recognizing that these differences in opinions, that they enter into the life of our church through God's wise and loving providence. Right? They're not random. They, these occasions don't only pop up by circumstance. And I don't know, I, I think this past season has just been hard to, I know that, but it's like hard to remember that. Now, sure, maybe you've never had... Uh, maybe you've never had to have a conversation about whether or not you're comfortable with inviting friends over to the apartment, you know, before this year, before this pandemic, maybe that's something just never talked about before. But do you recognize that underneath that, that is a God-given opportunity to learn from one another, to, to love better, um, to grow in Christ-likeness, right? Do you see like God's purposes in these things? And don't waste them right? They, they, are, they pass into our lives through the filter of God's love, as Pastor Kim likes to say. And so knowing that, let's, let's humb- humbly pursue that end of Christ's likeness, right? By, by coming alongside one another, relating not as opponents, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. By, by being charitable and generous in how we think about others and more strict with ourselves. And everything that we do by resolving to walk in love, right? Never Uh, resolving never to put a stumbling block in the way of our brother and following the example of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we have the example of Jesus to follow. And uh, yeah, God, we we acknowledge that we don't have all the answers, that there are a lot of issues that we don't, quite frankly, we don't know what to think. Um, But you have been very clear about the kind of lives that you've called us to live. Um, You've been very clear about the fact that we ought to love our brothers and sisters, even those we disagree with, and to welcome them just as you you have welcomed us. And so, Father, uh, yeah, remind us just of the truth that uh, you have accepted us, you've approved of us in the gospel, and uh, that Christ has loved us, uh, that he has given up his rights and, and privileges and freedoms in order to, to love us. Um, even to die on the cross for us. And I pray that as we go about our lives and as we interact with those who we might disagree with, Lord, that we would model the example of Christ, that we would uh, resolve to follow in his footsteps. And I pray that 
just for us as a church, as well as we navigate through this season of many differences, maybe between us, um, that you would make us a better church because of it. And we know that it comes into our lives through your wise and loving hand and that there's a purpose behind it and uh, that it is an opportunity to, to glorify you and to make the gospel beautiful um, even more. So God, we thank you. We, we ask that, yeah, just give us the strength to apply your word this week. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.